Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that we can indeed be listeners. We can come to your word and we can hear what you have to speak to us this day. So we ask that you would just really let us hear what you have for us to know and to do and to be, that we might truly be Christ's followers and be faithful to you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. You need to be careful that if you desire something so much and you don't get it, it will cause you to feel despair. Let me say that again. You need to be careful to not desire something so much that if you don't get it, you will be in despair. Jesus talked to us about the things that we treasure in our life. We read from Matthew 6, 19 to 21, and go ahead and read the yellow part with me. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the problem comes is that if you desire something and then you don't get it, then you'll be in despair, or you'll be angry, or you'll be bitter. But sometimes the Lord doesn't give you what you ask for because he knows that maybe it won't be the best for you. Or sometimes he doesn't give you what you desire because he knows it will draw you away from him and take away from that devotion you are to have in God. So you can only treasure, truly treasure one thing, and that needs to be God. This morning, as we come to chapter 10 in the story, we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to be looking at three people and the desires they had and how those desires were played out. We're going to look at Hannah and Samuel and Saul. On the second Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of peace, we're going to look at how they had peace or didn't have peace based on how they responded to the Lord. So first, let's talk about Hannah. Hannah was a simple woman who lived in the country of Ephraim. Ephraim is about 13 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And she was unable to have children. And she longed, she desired to have a child. And she couldn't get pregnant. And she knew that the only way she would be able to get pregnant is to give it to the Lord. And so we see this wonderful little prayer of hers in uh, 1 Samuel 1.18. And when you see underlined parts, please read that with me. Hannah said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. At first, we are told that Hannah was in some despair. She wanted to be pregnant. She wanted to have a child. It wasn't happening. And then she gave it to the Lord. And she experienced peace. It says that her face was no longer downcast. I remember when I was in my early 20s, I was watching my friends get married. And I wanted to be married. But I didn't find anyone to marry. And then my some of my friends started having children, and, and I wanted to have children, but I wasn't even married. And I remember I got to my later 20s, and, I, and all that time I longed to be married, and I lo longed to have children. 
And I remember coming to this time in my life where I basically, I don't know if I got down on my knees, literally, maybe I did, maybe it was figuratively, but I, I in essence, humbled myself before the Lord and I said, Lord, if I don't have children, if I don't get married, then I'll accept that. I'll accept your will for my life and I'm going to dedicate myself to ministry and that's what I'm going to do. And I remember... Like two months after I prayed that prayer, I met Tammy. <laughs> and 13 months after that, we were married. <laughs> now, the children was a little bit more difficult, but we did ultimately have children, right? Two amazing children. And so I remember coming to that time where there was that, there was that desire and even a sense of despair when it wasn't happening the way I wanted it to. And then when I finally gave it over to the Lord, I felt a great sense of peace so that when I did get what I wanted, it was even more joyful than it could have even been before that. Apostle Paul gives us some wonderful words in Philippians 4, 6-7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and read with me, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Soon after Hannah gave it over to the Lord, you know what happened? She got pregnant. And she had a child, and she named that child Samuel. And she acknowledged that this child was a blessing from God. She acknowledged that it was God who allowed her to have this child. She was so joyful because she had given it over to the Lord and she was able to acknowledge that God was at work in her life. And then chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, verses 1 to 10, is her prayer in response to this. And, and we read it, a little bit of it before. I'm going to read uh, the first three verses we're going to read together of her prayer her response to the Lord. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The Lord knows your needs. The no Lord knows what is best for you. And Hannah finds peace because she gave it over to the Lord but also ultimately she, she got a son. You know, one thing you need to be careful for though is that Giving it over to the Lord doesn't mean that it's going to happen exactly as you desire it. That's kind of manipulative if you really think about it, right? It's kind of a backwards way of being manipulative, right? I'll just give it to the Lord and then the Lord will give it to me, right? But sometimes he doesn't. James 4.3 says, When you ask and do not receive, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, rather, we need to give it over to God and say, God, whatever your will is, I want to be in your will. I will accept what your will is for my life. And when we come to peace with that, then we will truly have peace 
in our life. Because whatever God gives to us, we know that will be best for us. Whatever God brings to us, we know that it is for his glory and for his work and for his kingdom. And we will truly be in his, in his will. Psalm 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let me read that again. Take delight in the Lord. See, you delight in what the Lord delights in. And then you're walking into his will for your life, right? You're delighting what he delights in. And when you delight what he delights in, and you're in his will, then he will give you the desires of your heart. Because now the desires of your heart are the desires of God's heart. See how that works? And your desires are in line with God's desires, and then he gives you the desires of your heart. The Lord Jesus himself, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember he struggled a little bit. He was like, oh, the agony of the cross. Can I really endure it? And there was a part of the humanness, part of him, there was like, God, if you could take this away, I don't know that I want to go through that, that agony, that, that trouble, that heartache. And then you see this giving over, this sense of peace coming upon Jesus. He says, but Lord, your will be done. That's the prayer we need to pray. But, but God, your will be done. In the Lord's Prayer, we are told to pray, thy will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. God, I want your will to be done in my life. I want your will to be done in our church. We may envision some kind of happening. We may desire something particular. But in the end, we say, God, I want your will to happen. And if that's different than what I think it needs to be, help me to be at peace with that. Help me to accept that. Help me to walk in what you have for me, what you have for us. And then when we truly get to that place, we will experience the peace that passes our understanding. And we see that Samuel, as he walks with the Lord, he truly desires to live in the will of God. He truly is a man of God. Now, Hannah had so much wanted a child that when she received the child, she wanted to dedicate this child to the Lord. And so she gave... Um, Samuel over to Eli, um, the priest, so that Eli could mentor Samuel. And you're probably familiar with this fun little story where, where Samuel Knight is, is asleep, and he wakes up to this voice, and he thinks it's the voice of uh, Eli, and so he rushes over to Eli, and he says, Eli, what did you want to say to me? And Eli, you know, have you ever been a parent, right, and your child wakes you up in the middle of the night? Your first question is always, what? Is this an emergency? And when they say, no, 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 then you say, go back to bed. Go back to bed. And that's, in essence, what Eli says. He says, he says to Samuel, go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. It happens a second time. It happens a third time. And finally, Eli says, you know, Samuel, the next time this happens, it's the Lord who is speaking to you. And what I want you to say is, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I want us all to say that because that's what we should all say, right? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That should be our response. You know, it's not always easy to listen to God, is it? But we need to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. 
Now, the challenge is to know when the Lord is speaking, right? And the Lord know how the Lord is speaking. It could be the Lord could speak to you through a sermon. The Lord could speak to you through the Bible. The Lord could speak to you when you are in prayer. And some thought comes into your head. The Lord could speak to you from a trusted Christian friend, right? Or maybe even not a Christian friend. The Lord could even speak to you too from other people who are not Christians, but he may still speak a word that says to you, wow, that is something that is important for me to hear. The key when the Lord speaks to you is that it will never contradict the Bible. And it will always give glory to God and be within the will that God has for you. If it's contrary to any of those things, then it's not a word from the Lord, okay? You need to be very careful from that, for that. And so the Lord calls to Samuel again, and as Eli had, Eli had told him, the, uh, Samuel says, Speak, Lord, for your, uh, your servant is listening. In 1 Samuel 3.11, the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. The Lord is preparing Samuel. There's going to be some things that I'm going to do that are going to just blow people away. And I'm telling you first, and I'm telling you because you're going to help people understand it. You're going to help lead people. And Samuel's like, yes, Lord, I will do whatever you want. And then he told him some more. He told him about how he was going to strike down Eli's sons because of their sin. And Samuel was blown away by that as well. And so when he comes, the next morning comes, and of course Eli is curious, right? What did the Lord say to you? Now Samuel was a little concerned to not, to not tell him everything, right? Because it had to do with his sons. But out of respect for Samuel, he tells them. He tells them about everything, even his sons. And what is so amazing is Eli's response. You see the maturity of, of Eli, his spiritual maturity. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, and read with me, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Here's a man who said, Whatever God's will is, whatever he feels is best, I will humble myself before that. We put ourselves in that place, and we have to be willing to, to go where God calls us to go to do what God calls us to do, to accept what God brings into our life or allows to, us to, to come into our life because God will always be there with us and get us through it. And God will always strengthen us and help us to do great things when we truly humble ourselves before the Lord and find peace in walking in the will of the Lord. And we see Samuel do this. See, when we fight against the Lord's will, we will experience distress. But when we walk in the Lord's will, we will experience peace. And so you might want to ask yourself, in those times when I'm not feeling peace, what's going on? Maybe it's a circumstance that I need to give myself over to the Lord a little bit more so that I can find peace in knowing that God is going to be fighting for me and helping me in this difficult situation. And I can find peace that the Lord will make it work out. Okay. Or maybe it's something difficult to happen in your life that the Lord needs to teach you through. Or maybe it's something that God needs to strengthen you. Or maybe it's just to humble you so that you trust in the Lord even more. There's times when you're not going to be at peace and you have to say to yourself, what do I need to do to, to walk with the Lord so that I can have the peace of the Lord truly in my life? And then give yourself over 
the Lord in that. Well, in Samuel's time, the, their main enemy was the Philistines, and the Philistines were regularly defeating um, the Israelites. And they were like, Lord, why are you allowing them to defeat us all the time? And so they thought, you know, we have a plan. Now, this is, they didn't seek the Lord for this plan. They just said, Lord, or they just said, you know, we have a plan. So they went to get the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, you know, housed the Ten Commandments. And so they brought the Ark of the Covenant to the place of battle. Again, they didn't seek the Lord for this. They just did it. They thought, okay, when we have this, the Lord will be more on our side if the Ark of the Covenant is with us, right? And at first, it gave great courage to the Israelites, and they shouted out at the Philistines, and that caused some fear in the Philistines. But then the, the Philistines kind of regrouped, and they got their courage back, and the battle went on, and the Philistines again defeated the Israelites. But this time, they took the Ark of the Covenant. They took the Ark of the Covenant. See, the Ark was to the people a visible token of God's presence. God had said that he would dwell within the ark and over the ark. Because of this, they, they had, uh, this was a sacred chest to them, and it was something that was holy, and now it was gone. See, one thing we have to be careful of is that even religious artifacts can become idols. A cross, a Bible, the Ark of the Covenant, a stained glass window, a church. All these things can become an idol if we're not careful. They are not sacred. They lead us to God. They lead us maybe into a deeper relationship with God, but they are not to be worshipped. They are not to be lifted up as holy. Only God is holy. Only God should be worshipped. We have to be careful to allow these things to draw us to a relationship with God, but not become worshipped. And they were worshiping the Ark of the Covenant, and now it had been lost. Some of you might be familiar with the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. In this movie, uh, there's an archaeologist named Indiana Jones, and he is hired to find the Ark of the Covenant. See, the Germans are seeking it. They believe that it holds this great power, and that if they can get a hold of it, that Hitler can win the war more significantly, right? And so they are looking for the Ark of the Covenant, and they hire Indiana Jones so that he can find it before them. Well, Indiana Jones does find it, but the Germans are right on his tail. They capture him and the Ark, and so then they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they hold this special ceremony. They're going to open the Ark of the Covenant and release the power of God, and believing that the power of God will be then on their side, and they will be more mighty. Now, Indiana Jones knows that this is a bad idea. He and his companions are tied up. He says, don't open your eyes. Don't look at anything. Keep your eyes shut. They open the ark. This spirit comes out and wipes out all the people. But Indiana Jones and his companions are saved because they respected the power of God. Now, of course, this is a fictional story. It's not what really happened in history. But I find it interesting that even Hollywood... <laughs> Making a movie has this sense of the power of God at work and that the power of God is not to be messed with. I tell you that story because possessing the Ark of the Covenant for the wrong reason is not good. And we see that the Philistines will discover this. And so we come to 1 Samuel 5, 
6 to 7, the Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us. We don't want it anymore. This is not good because his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon, our God. And so they returned the ark of the covenant to the Israelites. We must be reminded that God is not someone who can be possessed, and his power is not to be manipulated. We cannot control God or use God for our sinful and selfish purposes. You know, you probably say, well, I don't do that, do I? Well, probably not purposely. But we do try to manipulate God. We do try to manipulate the power of God. We do try to get God to do things that we want him to do for our own selfish purposes. And God will not be manipulated. The only way we will experience peace in our life is to walk humbly before God, seeking his will, living into his will, and allowing God to work in and through our lives. That's the only way we will really, truly get peace. This was a lesson that the Israelites were learning over and over again. As long as they were seeking God and not trying to manipulate God, God was on their side, God was fighting for them, and they were victorious. But whenever they tried to manipulate God or control God, then things did not go well for them, and they were not at peace. Samuel was indeed a man of prayer and a man who followed the Lord. And because of this, the Lord placed Samuel as a judge over Israel. And one of the things he, he did was to implore the people with these words. And read the yellow part with me. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. What great words these are to the Israelites. What great words these are to us. Rid yourselves of anything that might be an idol in your life. Whatever that might be, anything that holds great importance, so much so that if you lost it, you would be devastated. Remember we talked about in the beginning, if anything, if you hold on to anything so much that you didn't receive it or if you lost it, it would cause you to despair, then that might be an idol in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have it, but what it does mean is he doesn't want you to hold on to it so tight that it becomes like an idol to you. Give those away. Release it. And let the Lord be your God. Worship the Lord only. Follow the Lord only. Let the Lord only be the one who satisfies your deepest desires. In this time of Advent season, as we prepare ourselves from the coming of the Christ child, we need to all the more say, Christ, you are my Lord. See, a lot of times we talk about Jesus being our Savior, right? But oftentimes we forget to say, but he needs to be your Lord also. He needs to be the ruler of your life. He needs to be the one that you give your heart to wholeheartedly. Not just a little bit, but wholeheartedly. When we get married... We make a covenant with our spouse. 
It's a covenant that lasts a lifetime. Now, as we've been going through the story, we've been talking about covenant. That God made a covenant with Abraham and, and then to Isaac and on down the line. This covenant still is valid for us, even more so because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, redeeming us, purchasing us, and drawing us into the covenant. God, remember, covenant is twofold. A covenant comes from one party, says, I'm going to do this, and the other party says, I'm going to do this. Covenant is two parts. God has always been faithful in his part. He says, I will save you. I will be your Lord. I'll be your God. I'll rule over you. And our part is, yes, Lord, I believe in Christ, my Savior. He will be my Lord. He will guide me. He'll be my authority. I will give my heart to you. I will walk with you. And this is the covenant that we make together with God. So the question is, will we fully commit to him? Are we going to do our part in that covenant? Will we give him our whole heart? Now, to do this means that we live for him, meaning that the decisions we make are for God. We don't bring the Ark of the Covenant into the battle unless we seek God and God says, yes, do it. God would have said, no, don't do that. He would have just said, turn to me and I'll fight for you and all will be well. We need to make decisions that honor God, seeking God in those making, the making of the decisions. We need to seek him through the reading of the Bible, through coming to church, through being in fellowship with others, through having accountability with people in our lives so that we make sure that we're walking with the Lord wholeheartedly. When we're faced with difficult decisions, we honor God with those decisions. We show that we are committed to God with the way we use our money, the way we share our possessions, the way we use our time. And all of these things, we show that we are fully committed wholeheartedly to the Lord. Will we commit to him fully? Will we give him our whole heart? Because the people committed themselves to the Lord after Samuel challenged them, the next time they faced the Philistines, they were victorious. And we read in 1 Samuel 7, 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. He set up a stone, a stone that basically said, The Lord was with us, the Lord helped us. It is because of the Lord that we won the victory. Now I'm going to give you a little freebie here. Many of you are probably familiar with the song, um, Come Now Font of Every Blessing. And in the second verse, you say these words, Here I raise my Ebenezer. There by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. And a lot of people sing that song, and they're like, what the heck is an Ebenezer, right? <laughs> Have you ever sang that song and never knew what the Ebenezer was? You sing that song, and you sing the words because they're there, but you have no idea what you're singing, right? Well, here you go. Now, here's the freebie. You know what an Ebenezer is. An Ebenezer is a stone that is set aside that basically says, the Lord is with us. The Lord has helped us. In fact, I want to give kudos to Jules. I, I questioned her last week on that, and she got it right. <laughs> That's good. I was really impressed by that. An Ebenezer. So, you know, it could be maybe you said a stone. Now, I should have brought stones, right? Given you all stones, you could have taken a stone home, and that would have been your Ebenezer, right? The Lord is with me. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is the one who will fight for me. And we set that stone aside 
to acknowledge that it is God who does this for us. How wonderful it is to know uh, the peace of the Lord because we know that the Lord is on our side fighting for us. Well, just a quick summary of the rest of the chapter, a story. Uh, the story, chapter 10, is basically about Israel demanding a king, demanding from God a king over Israel. And in essence, what they were doing is they were saying, we don't want you to be our king anymore. See, God was their king. Like, we don't want you to be our king as much as we want a physical presence of a king right here. See, all other nations had kings, and they didn't have a king. So they felt like they were missing out, right? We need a king to rule over us. Well, God said, you know, that's not really going to make a difference in your life, but I'll give you a king anyway. And you probably know that the first king was Saul. Saul became their king, but because of that, they lost their context, that God was to be their authority and their king and their ruler and their guide and their savior and their redeemer and their Lord. God is to be our everything. And when you have that king, now you look to the king to provide for you. You look to the king to give you guidance. You look to the king to be your strength. And as you go, as we go, we'll see this in the scriptures, that those kings who walked with God were, were ones who drew people to God, right? But the kings who didn't drew attention to themselves. And unfortunately, Saul was one of those kings. See, his problem was that he did not seek God for guidance and wisdom. Saul desired power. And that can happen when you gain that kind of status, right? Whenever you have authority position and you have a lot of power, that can get to your head and it can cause you to not seek the Lord and walk with the Lord. It can seek you to want more attention and more glory. And that's what Saul wanted. In fact, all the wars that Saul fought was to show himself to be a powerful ruler and king. Saul as king, didn't trust the Lord. And because of this, he grew fearful of his enemies. John Calvin, the great reformer, said this, the surest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves. So that goes back to who is the Lord in your life? Are you the Lord in your life? Or is God the Lord in your life? The surest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves, and that's what Saul did, and it led to his destruction, to his falling heart. See, we battle this every day. Will I listen to God or to myself? Will I seek God or will I seek what I want? Those are the struggles that we have every day, and hopefully the answer is, I'm going to listen to God today. I'm going to seek what God wants today. We have to say that to ourselves. We have to remind ourselves of that every day or it's easy for us to forget that that is a battle that we're facing. See, we'll only be at peace when we come to that place where we're content as a follower of Christ, a seeker of God, and a child of the Most High. Let me say that again. We will only be at peace when we come to that place when we are content with being a follower of Christ, a seeker of God, and a child of the Most High. We will only experience peace when we know the peace of God, resting in Him, trusting in Him, letting Him be our Lord, our guide, and the one who fights for us. Let us not be like the Israelites and Saul who sought 
to fulfill their own pleasures, but let us be like Hannah and Samuel who found peace in trusting in Lord, in the Lord and living in the will that the Lord had for them. Let us pray.